Hi everyone, Griffin Marie here, and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday, which means it's time for the week in review and preview. Today we will be discussing the latest moves in U.S. fixed income markets and what the decline in interest rates means, as well as the latest CIO publications and a whole lot more. I'm excited to be joined today by Barry McAlinden, a senior credit strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Barry, it's great to be with you once again and looking forward to our conversation today. Great, thanks. Uh, good to be here, Griffin. Well, Barry, it has truly been a fascinating week on Wall Street once again with the rapid decline in long-term interest rates weighing on all corners of global markets. Can you walk us through some of the catalysts for the price action in Treasuries? Well, that's right. Uh, the price action in Treasuries clearly dictated, I think, a broader market direction over the past week, and uh, that's confirmed a little bit where we're bouncing off those lows, the, the 125 that was hit uh, yesterday. Coming off of that this morning to the, the 134 level on the 10-year, uh, we think most of that was really more driven by technicals and maybe one-sided trading position rather than true fundamentals. And you know, when you keep in mind that um, foreign buying of Treasuries has remained strong, uh, particularly from Japan, um, July is a month where the net supply of Treasuries is set to decline because the Fed, you know, still in the market purchasing every month. And uh, the summer months where, again, some of the, the technical trading dynamics could be a little bit more exacerbated. In terms of it being driven by a risk-off trade, um, perhaps there was some of that involved um, pertaining primarily to the, you know, the, the Delta variant uh, news that was prevalent this week. But we think you know, if it was truly a risk-off type of trade, you would have seen credit spreads probably widen a bit more than they did. They did widen out a bit yesterday. Uh, so there was a little bit more of a risk-off element at the yesterday, uh, yesterday's trading. But overall, again, like I said, we think it's still more of a, a technical phenomenon, you know, that we've experienced uh, bouncing off these lows. And in CIO, we still think that uh, the direction for interest rates, you know, will be higher. You know, we can when you consider um, the Fed still on track, you know, to initiate a you know a taper announcement as well as a taper commencement. You know, over the next upcoming quarters, um, as well as you know, strength in jobs market and broader global recovery and reopening. So we think that uh, the industry forecasts you know remain for higher rates over the long longer term. So Barry, as a corollary to my first question here, what are some of the read throughs uh, for other areas of fixed income? Well, certainly um, performance has benefited. So total returns have uh, bounced for investment grade credit. You're seeing total returns that are almost flat on the year after being down as much as almost uh, 5% after the first quarter. So if investors, you know, have more than maybe a strategic type of allocation in these higher duration, high quality fixed income sectors, we do think that this provides an opportunity to pair those positions if they haven't done so already. So I think, you know, that's a direct uh, read through in terms of just the, the performance that we've seen. And I think what's also interesting, if you think about like what really drove nominal treasury yields lower, you can dissect it by the real yields as well as the break-even spreads. And it seemed like initially it was the real yield declining, which was driving the nominals lower. Um, but then also you had um, falling um, break-even too uh, later later in the week. Um, you know, once a little bit more of that risk-off element came into play. So. You know, I think to the extent that real yields do remain extremely depressed, um, this is something that 
we've been writing about in, in the fixed income team, you know, we think that they, they could remain vulnerable over the longer term, you know, to rise. Break-evens are largely normalized um, at their existing levels. But again, as I mentioned, I think this gives an opportunity for investors, you know, to reassess duration uh, positioning. And, you know, again, we're still generally cautious um, given just the, the price pressure that you would see. Uh, as longer-term yields uh, do eventually um, normalize, which is which is what we think. Well, Barry, shifting gears a bit here, the fixed income team and CIO has been quite busy. Uh, you published both the fixed income strategist and yield and income report just last week. Obviously, quite timely publications given what's going on right now. What are some of the highlights and key takeaways from those reports? Yeah, really, you know, no fundamental shift to our recommendations in fixed income. Uh, as I mentioned, it's cautious on duration risk, but constructive on credit risk. And we characterize the credit environment as being early cycle when it comes to fundamentals, meaning that you're seeing balance sheets and um, company results improve uh, based on the recovery, but late cycle as it pertains to valuation, because credit spreads are at historically tight levels for the investment grade, as well as the high yield credit market. So, we really like ways if you can express a preference for credit, but with low duration, senior loans or leveraged loans are, di- are direct play in that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where we have a preference in credit. And when you think about their recent underperformance versus traditional high yield bonds, we do think that um, this provides a bit of an attractive opportunity, uh, again, for that senior loan asset class that we've um, really, you know, have a, a preference for for um, since going back into into last year, you know, as the, re- the recovery in credit in- ensued, and then as it pertains to investment grade, uh, as I said, spreads are historically tight, and our latest fixed income strategist just talks about compositional differences in investment grade bond indices today versus the last time spreads were at these levels in the mid 2000s. Today, the index has a higher duration of over eight years versus then it was about five and a half years. And triple Bs, which are the lower quality credit segment and investment grade, have a higher weighting. Uh, they're about half of the index today. Back then, they were about 25 to 30%. So really, even though spreads are at those mid-2000 tight levels, they're really even tighter than that if you consider the adjustments, how the index is, is different today. So... Um, did recently take the opportunity in CIO to kind of increase our, our least preferred stance on investment grade credit and really for that duration element and the valuations that are really uh, late cycle. Uh, within other credit segments, we remain neutral on high yield bonds. We look for default rates in that category to continue to uh, decline in the upcoming months. Also neutral on preferred securities and see commercial mortgage-backed securities um, as a good um, kind of relative value, a high-grade area um, that should fare well, you know, with uh, inflation reading being a bit uh, above average. And you mentioned also yielded income. Uh, this publication uh, really uh, is a broader cross-asset class uh, review of sectors, uh, both in equities and fixed income that provide yield generation for clients uh, and investors. And as it relates to yield and income, I think I would, I would just highlight that, you know, in this environment, we have the Fed implementing zero interest rates, 
obviously they, they've done that before after the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. At that time, 10-year Treasury yields traded a bit higher than they are today. So it's almost like, you know, for fixed income investors, this might be, you know, among the, the toughest environments that we've ever seen in terms of generating yields. Even the high yield bond index touched a new all-time historic low uh, just uh, two days ago of about 3.8%. So clearly casting a wider net uh, is, is an efficient way, we believe, you know, to, to generate higher yields in an income in a, in a portfolio. And, and in CIO and, and at UBS, you know, we do have yield and income portfolios which do that, and they're allocated in such a way, you know, to do it in, in a risk-controlled, you know, type of framework. Uh, and, and the asset classes that are in that portfolio include um, both um, equities as well as fixed income and what we call yield assets, things like uh, senior loans, preferreds, uh, MLPs, and, and REITs. So uh, certainly, I think having exposure to uh, a yield and income type portfolio, you know, in this environment uh, where you can do it, you know, in a in a risk efficient way, um, can can really you know add add value, add some yield uh, to to uh, you know, to help that challenge. Excellent, Barry. Some terrific insights there. Now, what are some macroeconomic data points from this week that you want to recap for us today? Yeah, I think that the primary um, data point was probably the minutes from the Fed's June 15th and 16th meeting. Right. Uh, and that, that was a meeting, as we know, that was more hawkish. We saw the, the median dots showing two hikes for 2023. Uh, the minutes, you know, still showed some debate among committee members about the conditions necessary for tapering. And um, you know, recall that, the, you know, the, the forward guidance the Fed has given us, it states that, you know, further substantial progress toward their goals would have to be achieved before they begin tapering. Um, but according to the minutes, um, that criteria was generally seen as not having yet been met. Uh, so, you know, the committee, you know, it's still, uh, a, a bit undecided, and, and I think the, you know the market takes that uh, in stride because it confirms that the Fed is going to be patient in waiting for these conditions, you know, to, to materialize before um, before preparing the market, you know, for the for the shift in policy. And also regarding the composition of the tapering, uh, still some debate among the committee in terms of do you pair back the mortgage-backed securities and the treasuries um, in the same amount, or or do you potentially start with with mortgages, you know, first, um, so that you know, again, still uh, seeing some split as, as far as, as that goes. Um, so I, again, I think that the takeaway from the minutes is just the Fed, you know, committee members um, really exhibiting the patience in that the conditions have to be met, as well as you know, preparing the market uh, for those shifts. And outside the minutes, um, I would say that the the jolts jobs openings data, you know, that confirmed again a record. Uh, over 9 million job vacancies uh, that exist. And, uh, you know, that that's going to be key going forward and, and kind of plugging that gap. And, and CIO, we, we do expect, or our economists do expect to see strong jobs growth in the months ahead. Uh, as, you know, some of the factors that have kept um, you know, millions of people out of the labor market uh, continue to fade. But certainly um, that was, uh, you know, pretty... Uh, unique and seeing that record as far as the jolts jobs opening data this week. Terrific, Barry. Now, looking forward here, what should investors be on the lookout for as they prepare for next week? Yeah, so next week, uh, we begin 
hearing reports from companies about second quarter earnings. And then I'll begin with the large uh, U.S. banks. Um, and as far as the earnings season goes, you know, I think the, the market is really expecting results to be exceptionally strong, right? Because the, the comp on a year-over-year basis is the second quarter of 2020. So you're coming up with very low comp. So markets expecting earnings and revenue growth you know, to be at extremely high double-digit type levels. So I think that the additional information that may come out of earnings, you know, certainly be related to, to guidance that companies provide. And in terms of the banks, which kick off earnings next week, in light of the decline in interest rates, you know, we'll see any comments on how that might affect their uh, net interest income, you know, going, going forward. Uh, and, with the guidance, we'll also see Wall Street estimates, you know, how they react, you know, to second quarter numbers. So I think it's going to be, you know, mostly on these, um, the takeaways from the earnings rather than the degree to which, you know, the earnings beat themselves, which is, I think, largely expected, you know, by the marketplace. And then also other economic indicators include both the consumer price index as well as the producer price index. And of course, we had the CPI, the last reading in May, you know, touched that 5% level, which was the highest in the decade. So it is still likely to uh, remain elevated, you know, based on some uh, one-off factors that heavily uh, influence the meeting, uh, I'm sorry, influence the the data. Um, But overall, um, you know, we'll we'll see if there's a confirmation that maybe that that 5% uh, May reading, you know, may have been the peak uh, in, in the inflation print. Um, and then beyond next week, though, you know, the end of the month, there's another Fed meeting uh, on July 28th. And, and, you know, looking even into late August, there's that Jackson Hall Fed symposium. I mean, th- th- those are going to be really important events in terms of if we get more details as far as, uh, you know, the, the, the taper plans from the Fed. So there, there is a, a lot, uh, you know, that investors are looking towards uh, during the summer months. Uh, even though uh, they do tend to be a little bit uh, quieter, you know, just from uh, an engagement perspective. Certainly much to look forward to. Barry, great conversation today on what has been yet another interesting week in the markets. And we thank you for joining us and sharing your insights and looking forward to having you back on sometime soon. Great. Thanks very much, everyone. Again, we have been joined today by Barry McElhinn and a senior credit strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you'd like to learn more about or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the UBS trending video series. So from UBS Studios, I'm Griffin Marie, and thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.